0: Good morning, everyone. Good to see all of you here this morning, especially if you are visiting with us. We want you to know that you are a welcome guest and that we're happy that you have come our way to spend these moments of worshiping God together with one another. Hopefully you have been uplifted by the songs that we have sang and as we gathered around the Lord's table in commemoration of his life and to remember what he has done uh, for us. And so we're just happy that you are here. Let me remind you as a congregation that a month from now, we're going to be having our congregational retreat up at Trinity Pines in Cascade. So I want to really encourage you. There are plenty of beds left. We have lots of places to sleep that are, are uh, left for us. I know that some of you have uh, some of you are have rented uh, cabins or maybe a, a hotel room up there, and that's that's fine. Let me encourage you to register anyway, so that we have a count a head count for the meals that we're going to be providing up there and so if you do that that would certainly be appreciated so uh, get signed up it's going to be a great time together with one another it's going to be a lot of fun uh being together uh, you know it's we're talking about being rooted in relationships and so there are a few lessons that are going to be shared as well so make sure that you get registered for that event so many of you have probably heard this story. It's a little bit of an old story, but it's probably even one that I've used before. But it's a story about a preacher who was making some you know, calls back to individuals who had, who had visited the congregation that he preached for. And so he made a, a phone call and he, he rang up the number. And when the receiver was, was lifted up, there was a voice on the other end that whispered, hello? And he says, uh, who am I speaking to? And the whisperer said, Jimmy? He says, Well, Jimmy, how old are you? And Jimmy said, I'm four, which is four in English. I'm four. He says, Well, Jimmy, is your mommy there? Can I speak to her? She's busy. Well, is your daddy there, Jimmy? Can I speak to him? He whispered, He's busy. He says, well, Jimmy, is there anyone else there at your house that I can talk to that's an adult? He says, the police are here. Well, would you put one of the policemen on the end of the line, please? They're busy. (laughs) He said, well, is there any other adult in the room that I can talk to? He said, the fireman? He says, well, then could you put one of the firemen on the phone? They're busy. He says, Jimmy, what are they busy doing? And he said, the busy looking for me. <laughs> you know, listen, there are a lot of people in our world today that are hiding. Uh, people are hiding from parents, people are hiding from the police, people are hiding from the government, people are hiding from their coaches, from their teachers, uh, people are hiding from their friends, uh, people are hiding maybe even from themselves. There's a lot of hiding that is going on in our world today, and I think probably one of the most tragic of all of it is the fact that many people today are are hiding from from God. And that's interesting, because when you think about who, who God is, that God is everywhere, and that God knows everything, how is it possible that a person can think that they can possibly hide from God? And yet, nevertheless, people are trying to hide from God, and so this morning, I want to talk to you about being lost and being found you're hiding but in actuality you are lost and you're in such a desperate need to be found in this world And so i want to talk to you about a man who i believe was hiding if you saw the tv series the chosen you might recognize the guy that is behind me he is representative of, of the pharisees and he was one by the name of nicodemus and nicodemus was one who was hiding as well. So let me ask you to open your Bible to the Gospel of John, chapter 3. The Gospel of John, chapter 3. The actuality is, is as you read down through this section of Scripture, it can go all the way to verse 21, but we're going to focus mainly in verses 1 through 8, okay? So listen to what uh, John records here. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi. We know that you have come from God as a teacher for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered and said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter in a second time into his mother's womb and be born. Can he? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water and the spirit, he cannot come into the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So everyone, so is everyone who is born of the spirit. Nicodemus said to him, oh, how can these things be so? So Nicodemus is an interesting a character. There's a lot of things that are going on in, in Nicodemus's life, and so we might start by asking, well, well, who exactly was Nicodemus? Now, some of you may know who he is, but let me just share with you a few things about Nicodemus. Number one, he, he is a Pharisee. It, to be a Pharisee was an incredible position. It was a p- place of a position of influence. It was a, a position of of power. It was a, a position of reputation. It was a position where probably a lot of money came in because of that. He was one of the 600 elite religious leaders of Jerusalem or of Judea. I mean, that's, that's huge when you think about just 6,000 men and Nicodemus is one of them. And Nicodemus was probably one who had even influence within even the pharisee population he was rising to the top as a leader of the religious people pharisees were very religious people listen they were the most popular the most red-hot probably church in judaism i mean that's where they were they were known for their purity they were known for their their righteousness they were known for all those things and that people knew about the pharisees they held them in high esteem and were in awe of how religious they were, how righteous they were, how pure they were. In fact, they even tagged them with the name, the pious ones. This Pharisees, They it comes from the Greek, the Hebrew word peru, uh, perash, which means to be separate or to be separated from. And so the Pharisees were, actually they were separatists. They were known for who they were. They separated themselves from anything and anyone that was impure, especially if you were to talk about tax gatherers or if you were to talk about prostitutes or if you were to talk about Gentiles if you were to talk about those kinds of people those are the kinds of people that Pharisees absolutely separated themselves from. They would have separated themselves from every single one of you almost in this audience this morning because of who you are and because of your race, maybe even because of your action, they would separate themselves away from you. Luke, the 18th chapter, Jesus tells a story about a Pharisee and a tax gatherer who came to the temple, and it says that the tax gatherer, he stood off at a distance, and he's beating his breast and he's saying to God, be merciful to me, the sinner. He sees himself as a sinner. He's probably even wondering, what is he doing inside this place? If he's like a lot of people in the world, you might say, you know, if I ever walked into a church building, the place is going to fall down on me. And so this man, this tax gatherer, is in the temple, and he's come there for the purpose of worshiping God, and yet he knows there's something amiss in his life. He recognizes that he is a sinner, and so he prays to God for mercy. On the other hand, you have the Pharisee that is there, and he says of himself as he looks at this tax gatherer offering up his prayers, he says to God, I thank God that I am not like one of these. Like one of these men, and he's thinking about the tax gatherers. He's probably thinking about some other people that are around him. And he thinks himself to be so much better than any of them that are there. That's the mindset of the Pharisees. And yet people held them in high esteem. They looked at these people and they said, if you were to be religious, if you were to go to church, then you want to go to church where these guys go These guys go to church if you want to be religious or pure, you want to be like them. They are the example of what that is about. And so everyone held them in high esteem and in awe, except one. And that's Jesus. Jesus did not have a high regard for the Pharisees. In fact, he oftentimes made the Pharisees feel very uncomfortable. And because of that, the people or because of that, the Pharisees did not like Jesus. But the feelings were mutual because Jesus didn't like the way they were and what they were about. And for a number of reasons, I believe some of it is that Jesus was able to see what they were hiding behind. You wouldn't think Pharisees would hide anything. And yet they hide, hid a lot of things. They hid behind a lot of their religious pretension. They hid behind the robes, the way they dress, they hid behind their reputations, they hid behind their self-righteousness, they hid behind the law and, and all the aspects. Listen, they were the keepers of the law. They held strictly to what the Bible said or what the Old Testament law was about. And they went even beyond that to the man-made traditions and, and teachings, which was called the Halakha. They held to those as, as well. And so they are strict teachers of the law. And they oftentimes hid behind the law almost like a robe itself. And so Jesus repeatedly condemned them for their hypocrisy. For instance, in Matthew, the 15th chapter, in verse 14, he says, you are blind leaders leading the blind. That's what he said about them. These guys are the ones who are supposed to have seen everything from what God's perspective is about. And yet he says, you're blind leaders leading the blind. He declared to them, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel land and sea to win one proselyte. And when he is one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. That's not gaining any friends by saying that. Scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. He's telling them hypocrites. And not only is he calling them hypocrites, he's calling them the sons of hell. You're making a proselyte twice as bad as you, and you are a son of, of hell. In another place, almost right below that, he condemns them by saying, you are like whitewashed tombs which indeed appear beautiful outwardly but inside are full of dead men's bone and all kinds of uncleanliness on the outside you have these beautiful robes on the outside you seem very religious on the outside you seem to have it all going spiritually speaking but I know better I know what's inside of you. You're like a whitewashed tomb. You look beautiful on the outside, but inside, dead men's bones. All kinds of uncleanliness, and that's what you guys are about. And Nicodemus, I think, to some degree, saw that. Nicodem- Understand, Nicodemus was a Pharisee. And yet he sees something about the Pharisees, of which he is a part, that rang true. When Jesus said those things, there was some sense to it. And the result of it was that Nicodemus decides to come to Jesus. He's got questions that he wants to ask ask of this rabbi. Understand that Jesus had grown quite a reputation for himself, some would even say that maybe he was even a celebrity in that he was healing all kinds of people. A blind man at the pool of Bethesda, a man who, or a lame man at the pool of Bethesda, a blind man. He healed ten leopards of a terrible disease in and of it itself. He had raised people from the dead. He had turned water into wine. He had done a lot of incredible things. And so he had a little bit of a reputation or a celebrity kind of affair to him. And so Nicodemus, he comes to him. But when he comes to him, it says in the narrative here that he comes by night. A Pharisee, a ruler of the the Jews, come to Jesus by night. Here's the question. Why did Nicodemus come by night? Well, the answer is, is that he doesn't want anyone to see him there. There was a huge risk. There was a, a danger with having anything whatsoever to do with Jesus. And so he chooses to come by night. He probably wasn't wearing his Pharisaic robes. He probably wasn't wearing tassels. He probably wasn't wearing anything that would draw attention to himself. He probably dressed a lot like you or me would have dressed in that day. And he comes to him with this question. He says, Rabbi, we know that you are a man that has been sent from God. Think about those words, we know. Who who is the we? The we goes beyond just, you know, Nicodemus himself. The we had to include other people of authority. It had to include probably even other Pharisees who have looked at the life of Jesus and they know there's something special about him. They know that there's something special about his teachings. They certainly know there's something special about all the signs that, they were, that they were, he was doing. And so it says, we know. Maybe he's going there on behalf of others and going to come back and give them some answers to their questions. We don't know that. But he certainly does say this. We know that you are a man that has been sent from God. Well, how do we know that? Well, we know it because of the signs that you have been performing. That a man could not do this on his own. That this is something that only God could do. And so we know God must be working with you in incredibly wonderful kinds of ways. And so why is he hiding? Well, in John the 12th chapter in verse 42, it says, Many of the authorities believed in Jesus. But because of fear of the Pharisees, they were not associating with him for fear of being kicked out of the synagogue. That's what it says there. And so those were dangerous times to believe in Jesus or to seem as though you're maybe even just just a little bit associating with Jesus. that was a dangerous thing to do. There was a tremendous amount of risk that that Nicodemus could have been branded for. He could have been ruined for coming into a relationship with Jesus. he could have lose his popularity, he could lose his, his, his position. He could lose his influence. He could lose his power. He might even could lose money. He could have lost a lot of things. He could have even been kicked out of the synagogue itself. And he'd worked all his life to get there. Understand becoming a Pharisee was not an easy task. You had to live a very disciplined life, a very rigorous life religiously to become one of the elite Pharisees. And by him coming to Jesus by night when the Pharisees did not like Jesus and for him to go there, that was a dangerous thing for him to be doing. So he's hiding as he comes to Jesus. But at the same time, there's something very positive about that. And that is he's seeking. He's wanting some answers to his questions as he comes to to Jesus. But Jesus Is going to turn things upside down you would think that as nicodemus comes to jesus that jesus would recognize his position that he would recognize his influence that he would recognize his popularity but remember something about god his father remember something about jesus and that's this they're not respecters of persons they're respecter of those who obey the word of god who stay close to god in a very genuine transparent kind of way an authentic life that is there and so jesus you know nicodemus thinks he's going to come into a conversation with jesus on an equal footing but jesus turns it all upside down and instead of you know nicodemus asking him questions Jesus makes a statement and he takes the truth and he lays it to him and he basically says to Nicodemus, you're lost and you are in need of being found. Because notice what he says to him. He says to them, truly, truly, I say to you that you must be born again if you want to see the kingdom of God. I mean, how did we go from master or from rabbi we know that you're a man of God to truly, truly, I say to you, unless you are born again, you will not see the kingdom. How did you make that huge leap there? Because Jesus cuts through all the stuff that sometimes gets in the way of who we are and what we are about. And so he says these words to him and and Nicodemus, almost in a shock kind of way, replies back to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter in? a second time into his mother's womb and be born. What a strange thing to ask. Is Nicodemus being serious with this question? I personally don't think so. I think that Nicodemus knew exactly what Jesus was driving out because this word born again, this phrase born again, that's not a new teaching to these fellows. They use the phrase born again all the time. It was a part of their religious vernacular. In terms of a person going from being a non-Jew to being a part of Judaism, it's talking about becoming a, a proselyte. You know, we think about being born again, if you lived in the 20th century, then you would say, you know, the, this idea of being born again was something that the evangelicals talked a lot about, you know, at the, from About the 70s forward in the 20th century, and now we talk about it a lot, even today. And so we think about being born again as kind of a new teaching, but it's an ancient teaching. It's one that the Jews held to for a a long time, and so the Jews knew what being born again was all about. Like I said, they used it all the time. For instance, in the Encyclopedia uh, Judaica, it says this: A proselyte, a gentile who becomes a Jew. Terminates all former family ties upon conversion and is considered a what? A newly born child. He's talking about guys like the Ethiopian eunuch. Remember the Ethiopian eunuch? Uh, He is a man from Ethiopia. It means he is a black man. He's an African. And he's traveled to Jerusalem in order to worship God at the, the temple. He's not a Jew by birth. He is a Jew by conversion. So he has been converted. And so this is what has happened to him. He has been newly born. Here's what the Talmud said. A man who becomes a proselyte is like a child newly born. So like I said, being born again was not something new. New birth as a figure of speech was known to refer to a proselyte conversion. It was understood to mean conversion of the mind and heart beginning a new spiritual life with a new way of thinking, leaving one's old ways and ideas completely behind. So he's saying to Nicodemus, you have to be born anew. You have to be regenerated in your spirit. You can be born a physical life. Flesh is flesh, he says, But then there is the spirit that comes along that regenerates a person and gives them new life, a spiritual rebirth, if you will. And that's precisely what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus. He's saying that the new birth meant a change of mind, heart, a new beginning, a spiritual life, a new way of thinking, leaving the old ways behind, ideas completely behind, is what he's saying to Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a man of prominence. Nicodemus is an educated man. He knows his Old Testament inside and out, backwards and forwards. My guess is he probably even could have quoted it to you. And yet Jesus says you have to be born again. That did not pass over his mind. He knew what Jesus was driving at. He was saying to Nicodemus, you're going to have to change. You're an old dog, but now you're going to have to start learning some new tricks. You're not acceptable as you are. You have to change. You have to become like a newborn child. So what do we know about newborns? What do we know about babies? Well, I've had three children, three daughters. They're all babies. I have seven grandchildren. They're all babies. By the way, they're the smartest, they're the most intelligent, the most beautiful grandchildren ever. But here's a secret all parents think that about their grandchildren. But I'm here to tell you that when they're babies, they didn't know anything. And I've tried to talk with Crew, which is my youngest. And I've talked with my eldest, Riley, which is 17 years old, okay, and I've talked with them, and I'm here to tell you that when they were babies, they didn't know anything. They knew how to gurgle, they knew how to laugh, they knew how to cry, they knew those things. And I've had to try to have conversations with them. Oh, you look so cute. You have the prettiest little nose, and you know all that kind of stuff. And they would grin at me, and that was like, okay, that's great. But I try to have you know conversations with them, and guess what? Zippo. No conversation, and that's true. I mean, if you were to ask Zach and Meredith, Zach and Meredith, so how much does Mac know? And they'll tell you, he doesn't know anything. He knows how to laugh. He knows how to cry. He knows when he's hungry. He knows those kinds of things. Or if I were to ask James and Haley, James and Haley, how smart is little Wyatt? He's cute as a button, but how much does he know? Well, he doesn't know a whole lot. Babies are like that. Babies don't know much. They have to learn. And that's what I believe Jesus is saying to Nicodemus. You have to be born again. There's a new way of thinking. There is a new commitment that's coming your way and that's where you're going to have to go. And so you think that that you have all the teaching, but you you gotta understand that there's a lot more to learn now. You haven't, you know Nicodemus, he knew just enough about Jesus To make him feel really uncomfortable. And now in this moment here. When he says truly you must be born again. You must be born of the water and the spirit. That's going to catch Nicodemus really off guard. Because he thinks he's mature in the faith. And now he's going to find out. That he needs to be making some changes in his life. And what Jesus is saying to him. Is really an uncomfortable thing. And yet a lot of people find themselves in that place. Being uncomfortable. I was thinking about that. And I was thinking about. Four men that I had a Bible study with when I was in Cameroon, uh, West Africa, one year, in a little town called Smallakambé, and so I was in Smallakambé, and I was I was doing evangelism in those days, and and we I was having a Bible study with these four young men. Uh, they might have been in their early twenties at the most, but probably early twenties. And it was beside a bar that was there, a pub that was there, an outside bar. And, and we were studying in the shade, okay? And we went through a study, and they finally said to me that, you know, we're, we think we'd be interested in being baptized. And I said, really? And they said, yeah. I said, okay, listen. I said, I'm really happy that that's something that you want to do. But do you understand that if you, if you do that, you know, that you have to repent of your sins? Do you know what repentance means? It means you have to change the way you think you got to change the things that you are doing in your life. You're going to have to make some changes. And you got to confess Jesus as Lord, which means he's going to become the Lord of your life. He's going to start calling the shots in your life. He's going to start telling you how you're supposed to live your life. And so I'm glad that you're interested in being baptized. And, I, and then they said to me, we've changed our minds. And so I've, everything seemed to be going right. They're answering all the questions right. They're, I mean, they said they were interested, and now said they're not interested, and, and I couldn't see what's going on there. And so I looked at my translator and I said, "What's going on here?" And the translator says, "He goes, oh, they know that they're going to have to change too many things in their life. Well, like what?" He goes, "Well, we're by a bar, Richard, and what you're telling them is that they can't be drinking anymore, and they put those. They, they understand that that they got to quit drinking, and they got to ha- quit having sex with the girls." They they have to quit fornicating is what you're telling them. And they don't like that. And so they made a choice. No longer are they interested in giving their life to Jesus. They don't want to make that kind of change in their life. It makes them feel uncomfortable with that. And so they said, we don't want that. We'd rather have our drink. We'd rather have sex with the girls than we would to have Jesus and to have eternal life. And that's our choice. And so Jesus made them quickly very uncomfortable with his teaching, and yet that's one of the reasons why a lot of people don't don't come to church. They understand enough about God uh, and what he had to say to them, and what Jesus had to say to them, that if they come to Jesus, they're going to have to make a lot of changes. And a lot of people don't want to make a change like that. They like the broad path. The narrow way scares them, and so they say, you know what, I'd rather have my life the way it is, and so I'll exchange eternal life, I'll exchange a relationship with Jesus in order that I can do these things here. And so they choose not to be born again. And so Jesus says to Nicodemus, he understands Nicodemus, physically speaking, has a lot to lose. And yet he says to him, you must be born again. And then he tells him how you must be born of the water and of the spirit. I believe that when he said you must be born of the water Uh, I think that probably Nicodemus understood exactly where he was going with this thing because water baptism was part of the process of outsiders converting to Judaism. It was a part of it. If you wanted to become if you were of a different race and you wanted to become a faithful Jew, then you had to pass through the waters of baptism. Immersion. And as I told you, I think in the past, if you go to the temple of Jerusalem and go to the south wall where the entrance of the temple was, you'll find over 50 the cleansing pools, baptismal pools. They're to the south, they're to the west of the city. In every town and village in Jerusalem, you find a cleansing pool, a mikveh, if you will. And so he understood what he was saying when he said that, listen, you must be born of the water. In fact, James's Fawcett in Brown, which is a commentary, you can't really find anything thing, but it's about that thick. I have one in my office and I was looking at it and it says this. The Jews were accustomed to say of the heathen proselyte on his public admission into the Jewish faith by baptism that he was a newborn child. But our Lord here extends the necessity of the new birth to Jew and Gentile alike to everyone. So he says, if you want to be a follower of mine, then you must be born again. If you want to see the kingdom of God, then you must be born of the water. Notice this last part. It says that Jesus extends it to the Jew as well. The Jews didn't have to be baptized for conversion. They were Jews from birth. They were born into the covenant. They were born because of their bloodline. The Gentile had to be converted and as a proselyte to go through the process of baptism or immersion in water to begin their new birth. Jesus takes and says, no, it's not just for the Jew. It's also for the Gentile. It's for everyone else. And so as you look on the day of Pentecost and Jesus says to these uh, or the people after hearing Peter's first gospel sermon and they say, what shall we do? Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Hold that gift of the Holy Spirit in your heads, okay? But he says, you are baptized into Christ for what purposes? For the forgiveness of sins. Galatians 3 and verse 26 and 27, there it says, well, who are the sons of faith? Verse 27, those of us who have been baptized into Christ have clothed ourselves with Christ. 1 Peter 3 and verse 21, a person says to me, well, Richard, can you show me anywhere in the scripture where it says that baptism now saves you? 1 Peter 3 and verse 21 says, and now baptism now saves you, not the washing away of the filth of the flesh, but the cleansing of a good conscience. That's what it says. And then Romans 6 verses 3 and 4 says that through the waters of baptism, when you come up out of the watery grave, you rise up to walk in newness of life. It's talking about a new birth or being born again. And I believe Nicodemus put those together. He knows what he's saying here. But then he talks about being born of the Spirit. And when he says be born of the Spirit, I think that that's where Nicodemus had a bunch of question marks go out off in his head because I I think he comprehended the water, but the Spirit would have been foreign to him. It would have been foreign to him for him to think that God could actually take the Holy Spirit, and place it inside the life of a believer and that the Holy Spirit had the capability of making a change, a renewal, a regeneration. That would have been hard for him to comprehend. But I'll say this to you. I believe that's hard hard for us even today to comprehend that. I mean, look at what he said here in John 3. Or in John 3, notice what he says here in verse 6. He says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. Now listen to verse 8. The wind blows. By the way, the word spirit is the word pneuma. The word wind is the word pneuma. Okay? It's where you get the word pneumatic tools from, air driven. But Anyway, he says the wind, he's not talking about the spirit, he's talking about the physical wind. He said the wind blows from where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but you do not it come, know where it comes from or where it's going, so everyone who's born of the spirit. Okay, so how many of you see the wind? Well, you can see the effect of the wind. In our valley, you see dust. You see the trees wave and move around. You see the grass move around. You know there's wind that's there because of the effect of the wind. But you can't see the wind. Where does it come from? Well, it always comes from the east. And it comes, you know, from the west and comes east. Well, not in Idaho, it does this. You know, it's always going all over the place. But so he says, so where does it come from? And that's why he's talking about the spirit. You can't completely put your finger on the spirit, That nevertheless, it's a faithful truth. Look at, remember Acts 2.38, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Open your Bibles to Titus 3. Titus 3, verses 4 through 6. This is a great passage of Scripture. Listen to what the New American Standard, how it puts it. When the kindness of God, our Savior, and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us not on the basis of deeds which we are done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. I love the way the New Living Translation puts it because it tells you what Paul is driving at here. When God our Savior revealed his kindness and love, he saved us not because of the righteous things that we have done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins. And then I put Acts 238 and Acts 2016 because next 2016 at paul's conversion man, remember ananias said to him what are you waiting for arise and be baptized and wash away your sins calling on the name of the lord giving us a new birth born again and a new life through the holy spirit he generously poured out the spirit upon us through christ jesus our savior and so how does the spirit do that How does he, at the moment of our baptism, regenerate us, wash us, cleanse us, causes us to be born again? And the answer to that is, is, I don't know. I don't know how he does that. I don't know how he takes sinful Richard and makes me a righteous person in the eyes of God except for where it says the baptism into Christ for the remission of the sins because his blood washes away those sins and the Holy Spirit renews that at that moment. He regenerates us at that moment. He makes us new people at that moment. And it's why it's called being born again. So what both Peter and Paul are saying is that literally when you are immersed, you are born in, born or rebirthed into a relationship with Jesus Christ christ so nicodemus he's heard a lot of stuff there and now he is faced with a big decision it's going to be a huge decision there's going to be a lot of risk involved here there's going to be a lot that he can lose here as he contemplates, I don't know if he made the decision in that moment, but I can almost guarantee you, because Nicodemus is a student of the word, that he'll go home and he will do like this man behind me. He's going to be wrestling what Je- with what Jesus had to say to him. He's going to be thinking, What is it that I have to lose? Not all of you, but some of you. Can you remember when you decide that you're going to follow Jesus? That you had to think about, what am I going to lose if I do this? If I decide to give my life to Jesus, what am I going to lose? What are the consequences for my decision? I thought about that. I mean, I wasn't real old. I was 18 years old. But I had to think about, what are my friends going to think about me? If I quit doing the things I used to do, if I change my vocabulary, if I quit going to the parties, If I quit going out on Fridays or Saturday nights to get in fights with people, if I decide to quit drinking, what about my friends? I knew the answer to that question. I knew that my friends and myself, we did not like being around people of light. They made us uncomfortable. And so I knew that if I became a Christian, I was going to make a lot of my friends uncomfortable, and I could probably even lose my friends. Whatever popularity I have, I'd probably lose that. Whatever influence I had, I'd probably lose that. Some of you came to Christ later on in your life. You had to ask that question. Even some of you who were raised in the church, okay? Even as you're raised in the church, as you think about becoming a follower of Jesus Christ, you you had to ask that question. What am I going to lose? But also you have to say, in exchange, what do I have to gain? And I'm going to tell you this. Nicodemus had a lot more to gain than he would to lose. Lose things physically, yes. I'm sure that he would lose reputation. He would lose popularity. He would lose power. He would lose influence. He would lose those things. But But the exchange, the abundant life, here in this life and the life to come far outweighs any of those things. And so, did Nicodemus make that choice? I don't know. I do know this, that over in John, the 7th chapter, in verse 50, when Jesus is being questioned, Nicodemus comes to his defense. And it says, Nicodemus, the guy who came by night, did this. And he defends Jesus. And then in John, the 19th chapter, in verse 39, after Jesus had been killed, had been crucified on the cross, and he's dead, and Joseph of Arimathea goes to ask for the body of Jesus, guess who helped prepare the body of Jesus for burial? Nicodemus. And it says, Nicodemus, the man who came by night, the man who came secretly, do you think that, G- that they didn't pay attention to Nicodemus's defense? Do you think that they were not aware that Nicodemus had helped bury this criminal, this instigator, this problem? Sure they did. They had to have known that. My heart of heart. I want to believe so much that Nicodemus chose Jesus, that he chose him. I can't prove it, but I think he did, and I really hope he did. Well, that leaves us where we are. Like Nicodemus, we have to make big decisions too, don't we? The question is, is do you need to change? Change. Before I got up here, I asked Dave to lead the song uh, Revive Us Again. I think that's what that was called, but that's what it meant. To revive. And so I looked at this word revive. What does the word revive mean? Well, the word revive means life. And re means again. So what does it mean? I mean revive means to have life again. And in the context of what we're talking about this morning, we're talking about being born again. So maybe is the day of your revival. Maybe today is the day that you can be born again. That's what Jesus said. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless you are born again of the water and the spirit, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Those are the rules. That's the way to enter in. And so sure, I've talked to you about being immersed for the remission of your sins. I've talked to you about receiving the Holy Spirit that seals us to a day of redemption that assists us in our prayers that promises to always be with us. And so you have a decision. If you're a Christian and maybe you start walking in a wayward way, maybe today is your revival day. where you recommit to the life that you began however long ago. And so your response is yours as you think about your change and what maybe you need to change what together we stand and sing and give you opportunity